Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. For as long as people have been writing stories, there have been an abundance of tales about mirrors. The old story about Narcissus, and I'm not talking about Lex Luger to you wrestling fans, an early 90s throwback to the 11 people who will get it. You're welcome. I'm talking about the story about a man who fell in love and longed for his own reflection in a pool of water. Snow White's queen had a magic mirror, and Alice traveled through the looking glass. An article on HowStuffWork.com by Gallagher Flynn goes into nice details about mirrors in literature and superstition. In ancient Chinese mythology, there's the story of the Mirror Kingdom, whose creatures are bound by magic to sleep but will one day rise again to do battle with our world. Strange movements we see in mirrors out of the corners of our eyes are supposedly the first stirrings of this world as it wakes up. Mirrors also have a strong connection to the concept of the soul, which results in a wealth of superstition. For instance, one of the reasons that breaking a mirror causes seven years of bad luck, on top of having to pay for a mirror, is that the soul, thought to regenerate every seven years, shatters with the broken glass. Vampires, who have no souls, are thus invisible to mirrors. It's also dangerous for babies, whose souls are undeveloped. Folklore states that if a baby looks into a mirror before its first birthday, they will develop a stutter. Spirits are often associated with mirrors. Mirrors are covered out of respect for the dead during the Jewish mourning ritual of sitting Shiva. But many people in the United States also cover their mirrors when someone dies. According to superstition, a mirror can trap a dying soul. A woman who gives birth and looks in a mirror too soon afterwards will also see ghostly faces peek out from behind her reflection. Rumor has it that if you go to a mirror on New Year's Eve with a candle in your hand and call out the name of a dead person in a loud voice, the power of the mirror will show you that person's face. I'm sure most people will admit that they or someone they know has seen something unsettling in a mirror, or at the very least, questioned something that they thought they saw. I remember as a kid 
my cousin telling us a story about their childhood home in Brooklyn, which always had a creepy aura about it. He told us that one evening, after stepping out of a shower, he saw an elderly man in the mirror standing behind him in the doorway to his mother's bedroom. Startled that a strange old man was standing in his house and watching him in the bathroom, he spun around, but the bathroom door was closed. It was impossible for him to see into the hallway. He opened the door and went into the bedroom, but there was no one there. Upon returning to the bathroom to finish up his nightly routine, the man was now standing directly behind him when he came up from the sink after spitting out toothpaste while brushing his teeth. This is just one of many stories we would always tell each other at family get-togethers. I don't know which story was stranger, that or the one where the mystery water started to downpour in their dining room. I say mystery water because no water pipes or water damage were found in the ceiling, but that's a story for another episode. We had to ask ourselves, was the house creepy because of the stories? Or were the stories creepy because of the house? The most famous of all mirror stories has to be Bloody Mary. I'm sure we all have been to sleepovers with friends and the idea of playing this game came up. I'll admit that I've never done it. The risk to reward ratio is something that I just couldn't get behind. For a guy who writes, or at least attempts to write creepy stories, I am a giant coward when it comes to things like that. The legend and its origins change depending on who you speak to. The rules of the games change as well. Chant her name three times and she appears. Say it 13 times and she'll claw your eyes out. Other versions involve chanting, I believe in Bloody Mary. Or even, I killed your baby, Bloody Mary. Why? Can we just agree that taunting monsters is a bad idea? Folklore experts searching for the origins behind the legend of Bloody Mary came up with several theories. A unique take on the legend by folklorist Alan Dundies suggests that the story is an initiation ritual into womanhood. He notes that the Bloody Mary legend revolves around blood suddenly appearing, and that the ritual typically takes place in a bathroom, with girls who are right on the edge of puberty. However, other theories put the origin of the story in a more historical perspective. Bloody Mary may have been one of the following women, who might have a good reason to come back from the afterlife and wreak havoc among the living. Mary Tudor, who put many Protestants to their death for hearsay, giving her the nickname Bloody Mary. Elizabeth Bathory, also known as the Queen of Blood, who was supposedly convicted for murdering hundreds of young girls so she could bathe in their blood. And Mary Worth, a witch executed at the Salem Witch Trials. According to several versions of the legend collected by folklorist Janet Langlois in her seminal 1978 article, Mary Wales, I Believe in You, Bloody Mary is the vengeful spirit of a Puritan woman who was accused of witchcraft during the Salem Witch Trials. In this version, Bloody Mary's real name is identified as Mary Worth, or Mary Johnson. She's said to have been found guilty and subsequently executed by burning. Of course, issues abound with this theory concerning historical accuracy. For one, while several people named Mary were accused, tried, and executed during the trials, none of them had any of the surnames given to any version of Bloody Mary. And for another, those who lost their lives during the Salem Witch Trials weren't burned. Majority of them were hanged. Also, one was pressed to death, while most died in jail. Awful. However, the Salem Witch Trials were far from the only witch hunts to have occurred in the world during the 16th and 17th centuries. And she isn't the only Mary Worth. According to legend, her origin isn't Salem, Massachusetts, but Wadsworth, Illinois. Bob Jensen, paranormal investigator and leader of Lake County's Ghostland Society, says Dilly's Road used to be called Old Wagon Road, just north of St. Patrick's Cemetery. There lived a woman named Mary Worth in the 1860s. Back then, 
Many homes in Gurney, like the Mother Rudd House, were part of the Underground Railroad. Mary was part of the Reverse Underground Railroad. She'd bring in slaves under false pretenses and send them back down south and make some money. There were rumors among the townspeople that Mary also practiced the dark arts, torturing and killing slaves for her rituals. For a time, they turned a blind eye to her evil doings. But there came a time when they were just fed up, Jensen said. They lynched her on her own property. According to Chicago Haunts, Ghost Lore of the Windy City, by Ursula Belsky, in the 1960s, a Lake County resident in her 90s claimed she watched Mary Worth burn at the stake. Jensen said, from there the story goes in two directions. The first was that her body was burned on her property. The second was that it was burned in the cemetery. Jensen said that in the 1800s, it was improper to bury a witch on sacred ground. So more than likely, she was buried on her property. 100 years later, a subdivision was built nearby, Jensen said. At the site of one house, construction workers found a stone and removed it. Legend says that that stone may have been Worth's grave marker. It was placed in a path next to the house, and creepy things began to happen. For example, dishes would fly off shelves at the house. And then, the house there burnt down. Twice. Mary Worth really enjoyed torturing people, was a self-proclaimed witch, and the locals knew to steer clear of her. I think regardless of where you believe this story originated from, we can agree that playing games with mirrors isn't something you should see yourself doing. I'll see myself out. Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Westchester, New York. It is presently 1,645 hours on October 2nd, 2015. Detective Mark Harris, along with Special Agent in Charge Scott Fry, is currently at 475 North Avenue, New Rochelle, New York. This is for case number 7691119. Brittany, I want to get down to some basic information before we begin. Your first name is spelled B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y, is that correct? Brittany, sitting in a daze in a brightly lit interrogation room, nods her head. The arc sodium bulbs hum overhead as she sits on a plastic chair handcuffed to a wooden table in the center of the room. 
The only other furniture in the room are the chairs the officers are sitting on. To her left is a giant two-way mirror that Brittany has no doubt the police are recording her through. Brittany nods her head to the question. Is that a yes? Detective Mark asks. Yes, Brittany responds at no more than a whisper. And your last name is spelled Hall, H-A-L-L? Yes. Brittany's posture is hunched over in the chair. Her handcuffed hands are clasped tightly together. She timidly looks up at the two men sitting on the other side of the table as she answers the question. Her eyes continue to dart over to the mirror on the wall, and just as quickly, look back to both of her hands. Okay, Brittany, walk me through this. Start from the beginning. How did you know the other girls? From school, the girl said timidly, glancing to her left at the mirrored wall. You were all in a sorority together? They were. I I wanted to. Is that why you were all together? They were rushing you? I I I guess you could say that. Okay, take me back to the beginning of the day in question. Is that something you can do? Brittany nods and seems to collect herself before she begins her story. That morning I was up early, even though I had no classes that day. It was a habit I couldn't really break. I made myself oatmeal. That's what I have most mornings, and then I went for a run. That's where I ran into Carla. That's Carla Garcia? Yeah. She was the one who told me that her and a few of her sorority friends were getting together later that night. They were going to sleep at her dad's house while he was away. Watch movies and drink. She asked me if I cared to join them. And what did you say? I was hesitant at first. Carla and I are cool. We have a lab together and have partnered up a few times. But I really didn't know any of the other girls. Did you not know them because you just never got around to meeting them, or for other reasons? Because I didn't really like them, if I'm being honest. They were stuck-up rich girls who spend hours every day looking at themselves in the mirror. I don't even own a mirror. Gotcha, the detective said with a confused look as the agent in charge looked on stoically. But I I said yes. Look, I'll do my best to recount what went on that night, but do we have to do it in here? The girl said, becoming increasingly fidgety in her chair. The detectives looked at each other before Mark answered her with a sorrowful but firm, unfortunately, yes. Brittany nodded and shifted her eyes to her reflection before quickly bringing her eyes to the front and focusing on her hands, her fingers nervously intertwining. I got ready and headed over to Carla's dad's house. My Uber dropped me off there at about 8.30. I was the last one to get there. Rebecca, Jenna, and Rachel were already there with Carla. They told me they ordered pizza, and they were already halfway through a 24-pack of Trulies. We just started talking. I cracked open a watermelon one and jumped into the conversation. Rebecca was in the middle of a story about an awful date she went on. Well, awful to her, at least. To me, the guy sounded nice. He took her to Topgolf and after wanted to go for a walk around the big fountain at Bryant's Park downtown. She complained that the menu had chicken fingers on it, and any guy that thinks she wants to go eat chicken fingers and hit golf balls obviously has zero idea of the type of girl that she is, and has no business even talking to her, never mind dating her. I laughed with the rest of them, but I really didn't find it funny. They got around the table to me, but I really didn't have much to say. I don't date much and spend most of my free time training. I run track, but they demanded a story, so I told them one of a boy I knew in high school. I'll spare you guys the details. 
After the gossip, Carla suggested that we play a game. She broke out a deck of cards and we played a few rounds of kings. It's a drinking game. It was Jenna who said she had another kings game. A game called Three Kings. But she needed two mirrors to play it. I can tell by your faces you've never heard of it. I hadn't either. She said her brother found it online somewhere and it was more of a ritual than a game. At first I thought they were just trying to freak me out and they were going to play a joke on me or something. But Jenna began explaining it. The game involves setting up a couple of chairs and two mirrors in a particular way and taking steps to put yourself in the right frame of mind for the experience, as she put it. One of the chairs is your throne, with two mirrors sitting at the other chairs acting as your queen and your jester. The premise of the ritual is that you have questions going into this whole thing, you'll walk out with answers. We kind of laughed it off and Carla gave the ooh sound to have some more laughs. Then Jenna gave us the warnings. She listed them like she was reading them from an instruction manual. 1. Just because this game doesn't claim to summon an actual spirit doesn't mean that nothing gets summoned. 2. From your perspective, you're the king. But your queen and jester have their own perspectives too. And they might not think of themselves or you the way you do yourself. That's why the game of the game is Three Kings. And 3. Even if all you're doing is walking around in your own mind, that doesn't mean it's not dangerous. Some people have some things lurking up there that you don't really want to get out. We went through all the work of setting this game up, and everyone nominated me to go first. I really didn't want to, but I humored them. I sat in the chair and looked at the reflections of myself for a few minutes, but nothing happened. I don't know if anything was supposed to happen, but I just felt stupid. Jenna clapped really loud at one point, I guess trying to make me jump. But I saw her in the mirror getting ready to do it, so I knew it was coming. That's when Carla said, why aren't we playing a real mirror game? And she left the living room and walked into the kitchen. When she returned, she had a box of candles with her. She walked past us all and had an impish grin on her face. She opened the bathroom door and asked, who's first? No one jumped up right away. We all kind of looked around at each other. Then they all said, just about at the same time, I'll go. All except me. The detectives kept quiet during Brittany's story so far, until Detective Harris chimed in and asked her, Why's that? Brittany took in a deep breath and continued her story. During middle school, I used to spend the weekends in the summertime at my cousin's house. I had a lot of cousins, and my family spent a lot of time together. They were my first real friends. That night, my cousin Jeremy suggested that we all play a game. We all huddled together down in Jeremy's basement, which was sort of converted to a family room. We stole some candles from all over the house. All kinds of scented ones his mom had. The basement was full of flower and vanilla scents. We lit the candles and shut off all the lights and huddled in front of the mirror they had hanging over the couch. Tears began to well up in her eyes as she continues her story. We started chanting her name. Barely able to see ourselves in the mirror through the dim candlelight. I smelled her before I saw her. The fragrant smell of the candles were gone, replaced by the most horrific thing I've ever smelt in my life still. If Special Agent Fry was there that night, he would have been reminded of the smell Brittany was talking about. Back when this gentleman was in the sixth grade, his school went on a field trip to the Pennsylvania coal mines to see how a refinery worked. The smell of burning coal is what Brittany and her cousins experienced. Two of his classmates threw up during that trip. Their tour guide smiled and slapped young Agent Fry in the back and said, That right there is the stench of money, boy. 
all the candles blew out and the stink was coming from them. My cousin Jeremy, who was into all this superstition stuff, told us don't look away. Whatever you do, do not look away. Keep looking at the mirror. The face of a grotesque woman appeared over my left shoulder, smiling with a mouthful of rotten teeth. Her sunken eyes were digging into mine. I did what any kid would have done. I screamed. The combo of the screams and the stench reached upstairs and our parents came down to see what we were doing, just as our cousin Paige was throwing one of the candles at the mirror crying. The mirror shattered and the lights came on at the same time. We got in a lot of trouble for that. When you started this part of the story, you said you had a lot of cousins. Do you no longer have any? No. They're all dead. Drugs. Car accident. Suicide. My cousin Paige killed herself because every time she looked in the mirror, she saw that face smiling back at her. Jeremy said we interrupted the ritual and now we were cursed. He overdosed the summer after he told me that. Is that why you don't own a mirror? The detective asked and then immediately followed up with, Let's get back to more recent events. You were saying how they were getting ready to go into the bathroom. They kept asking me to come in with them and stop being a baby, but I wouldn't. They closed the door behind them and I heard them call her name. After the third time is when I smelled it again. The lights in the house began to flicker and I heard them start screaming. They were banging on the door but couldn't get it open. I tried to help them. I tried to push it open but the door wouldn't budge. They were pounding and screaming on the other side but there was nothing I could do. When the screaming stopped, the door just clicked open. Once I could see inside, I saw their bodies. Their faces were slashed to ribbons and their throats were cut. There was so much blood. I looked up in the mirror but the reflection staring back at me wasn't my own. I saw that disgusting smile again. She reached out for me, but I put my fist through the mirror and ran. I ran away. I would have still been running if you didn't find me. Can we please go somewhere else? In a minute. You said they were calling her name? Whose name were they calling? I'm not going to say it. You want to leave here, don't you? The faster you give us a name, the faster we can get out of here. And we can work on finding out why you killed your friends. You think I did this to them? There's enough evidence that suggests yes. You've also been very vague about certain things, and very detailed about others. You're dancing around stuff. I've been doing this for a long time, and I know when someone's deflecting, Detective Harris said as he started to pack up paperwork and gave a slight head nod into the giant mirror. You've mentioned another woman, and your refusal to say a name is very telling. So either get out in front of this and let us help you, or you're on your own. Who are your friends calling out to? Or are you afraid when you say it out loud, the delusion will become real? and you'll realize how much trouble you're actually in. Brittany grasped her hands together tightly and lowered her gaze, seemingly to cower from the words. Bloody Mary, she said at a volume no louder than a whisper. What was that? Detective Harris said. Did you say something? I couldn't hear you. Bloody Mary! Bloody Mary! Bloody Mary! Detective Harris looked over to Agent Fry with a smirk. Any questions, Agent? Agent Fry shook his head and stood up from the table. I'm done as well. I suggest you get a good lawyer, young lady. As the men left the room, they failed to notice the grimming woman's reflection in the mirror as they passed. From the pages of the Amityville Record, January 12th, 2018. Deborah Sprout remembers waking up and hearing the screams. 
She hid under blankets with her sister until sirens drowned out their panicked breathing. It was October 1984 in Babylon, Long Island. She was eight years old. Her sister Tina was six. Their mother, Jackie Cross, was viciously attacked in her bedroom, not far from where the two girls huddled in fear. Cross, 26, was stabbed 32 times and died in the hospital. Her killing has never been solved. I live that every single day of my life, Deborah said in an interview. Over 30 years later, she is using social media to look for people who knew her mother and any who may provide clues about the killing. Sprout created a page about the case on Facebook in 2011, but the emotional toll was too much. After receiving support from a church community, she has reactivated the account and is looking for any breadcrumb of information. My ideal situation is finding out the truth, Deborah says. On a cold fall day in early November, Deborah Sprout lays out all the details she's been able to gather on a table in her home in a small beach community east of Babylon. It's too hard to live in the city where the innocence of her childhood was stolen. Two years after the killing, her sister died in an accident. Deborah has her parents' wedding certificate and photos of the young couple when they first got together in 1979. Old Polaroid pictures show them smiling and hugging. Photos from the years after Deborah and her sister were born show more difficult times. Money was tight, and the pressure of having children so young was weighing on her parents. They separated not long before Cross was slain. The sisters moved in with Cross's relatives after her death. Sprout's father was in a new relationship and in a new city. They never became close. That horrific night created a ripple effect. Deborah says she also has felt as if things could have been torn away at any moment, so she has clung tightly to unhealthy relationships even when she knew it wasn't good for her. Nobody should have to go through what I did. I was an orphan child. She points to paperwork declaring her mother's death. Nearby, yellowed newspaper article headlines declare reward money for information about the killer, which has since expired. We know that someone somewhere has information that can help us, Detective John Lexington said in the Garden City News story from the time. A headline in the East Hampton Star declared, Killer Still at Large. A black and white photo of Cross's fresh round face framed by long dark hair accompanied each article. They describe how Cross, a friend, her nephew, and her two daughters were asleep in the small home. About 2 a.m., the friend has awoken by frantic calls for help and the sound of shattering glass. He found Cross bleeding in bed. For decades, it felt like that maybe all Sprout would know of her mother. But through social media, she's been contacted by former neighbors and friends. She's learned more about her mother's love and brilliant smile, but also about how she had a difficult life and didn't always make good choices. Babylon police say many officers have worked on the case extensively. Details can't be shared because it remains an open investigation. Anyone with information is encouraged to contact the Historical Homicide Unit or Crime Stoppers. Officers found no signs of forced entry the night she was killed. Police ruled out robbery and sexual assault as motives. The responding officers said oddly that all the mirrors in the home were smashed. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. Music by Kevin McLeod.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.